0: I'm going to talk today a little bit about what the Holy Spirit was showing me, and it's something that we've talked about periodically, but I felt very strongly led to talk about it today. I want to talk about our mission as a church. Our mission as dwelling place specifically. And uh, you know it's super important. you know there's vision, and then there's also mission. And vision. Um, and, and if you're visiting from out of town, you're going to get a whole bunch out of this. This isn't like some kind of like multi-level marketing upsell that you get signed up at the table at the back. This is not that. okay? This is kingdom dynamic, all right? This is kingdom dynamic. And in order to understand what our mission is, we actually have to understand what we've been, what's been asked of us. There's a lot of places and a lot of church buildings that will just choose what they feel called to, But actually, we have to be very careful what we actually subscribe to because God is a God of details. He's always been, like, you know, Elon Musk is just trying to figure out how to go, like, blow out moon and, like, mine asteroids. I mean, the dude's next level, okay? But he hasn't figured out how to hang a star in the sky, how to balance an entire solar system or align a galaxy let alone galaxies. Our God is so detailed that the things that we take for granted, we as as a planet haven't even been able to figure out the remotest idea of how they work. And that's just landscape. God is a God of details. And so I want to talk a little bit about what He has called us to do and how Dwelling Place has taken that and how we have postured ourselves. So this is, you could say this is our mission statement if you want, but it's really how we function as a church family. Amen? Amen. So last week I referenced uh, briefly out of Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. So if you want to go there, we're going to go there again. Matthew 28, 18. And I'm going to read these two, uh, sorry, these three very dynamic verses. And I always try and preface it with this, that if, if I was... You know let's just say, let's say I was Elon Musk, and I had uh, one of our one of our people here in this family actually works for uh spacex Casey, and you know the dynamics of all the different departments there's like Tesla and then there's like this new mining thing there's SpaceX there are so many i mean there's a whole lot of Nef stuff as well, like the brain interface crazy gnarly stuff he has just almost the government level of all these different departments, okay? Now, if Elon had to go off the grid for 12 months and he couldn't access his businesses directly, right, he would have a meeting with all of his heads of department and he would leave a mission briefing that would be, essentially marching orders or instructions on how he wanted the business run in his absence, right? If he blows out to Mars for 12 months or something crazy. (laughs) You guys with me, right? So that would be, and then let's just say he gets on his little space rocket and he jets off to Mars. It's total, it's total Star Trek today, okay? But let's just say he has that moment that last meeting that he has with his heads of department or or the the different corporate executives would be one of the most pivotal meetings that he would need to retain. Yeah? So he would then have to entrust those people to carry his corporations to success because he's removing himself from the equation temporarily. Are we in agreement? You guys can nod your heads. Please don't look like mannequins. It freaks me out. <laughs> but, but the last things he says will be the most crucial because as he's nearing his time to get on that, on that rocket, he will be saying the most pivotal and potent statements of what he needs done. True? So in the same context, Jesus has spent... 33 years or 33 and a half years walking the planet, the last three and a half years were years of his ministry where he was pouring out and demonstrating the Father and and heaven's uh, uh, atmosphere. And he literally said, you know, the kingdom of heaven has come near you this day. And that's where he said, repent. He's like, everything's changing. There's a whole new world now available. And this is how it works. And he pulled during that time those 12 guys. We know there were 70. We know there was, I think it was 120. And then there was the 500. And then there's the 5,000. So there's these different levels of groups that he had around him. And he was pouring out what heaven looks like and the culture of the kingdom. Healing, deliverance, salvation, mercy. Yeah? So he's pouring out all these things and then he's crucified, and then he has a period of time, I believe 40 days after his resurrection, before he ascends into heaven. You guys with me? So from there, let's go to this, this verse. So Matthew 28, 18, he is having this pivotal moment before he gets on the quote-unquote space rocket, Okay? And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Now, that word nations actually means people groups, not countries. Just just so you know. Just because you went to Mexico and laid on the beach for three weeks does not make you a missionary. And got some photos. That doesn't make you a missionary and doesn't give you the right to get sponsorship. (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, that was that was a bomb. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Do you notice it doesn't say go therefore and get as many sinners' prayers as you can? Ooh, that's an interesting thought. It, he doesn't actually say go and get as many people to pray the sinners' prayer because there is no sinners' prayer. Oh, okay, that's shocking. <laughs> Go go therefore and make disciples of all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Watch this. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And very shortly after that, the Bible describes that Jesus was taken up in a cloud. So I don't know whether that's cloud surfing and he stood on a cloud platform, a little glass elevator. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know whether a mist came in and just enshrouded him and it kind of floated up. I don't know. All I know is he was taken up and he's now Jesus, son of God in human form. Get this in human form, came down as God. Now half God, half man, still has scars in his hand, has ascended human back into heaven to represent redeemed mankind to the Father. You're in a wheelchair on earth, you ain't in a wheelchair in heaven because you got a new body, but Jesus is still in his human form. All of his scars are glorious. <laughs> Anyways, that's, that's going to mess me up. so I'm going to keep moving. So, so this is his potent send-off statement. And he has, this, he has this chat. And now he's at a point of critical mass where he is desperate for these guys to pay attention to what he says. Does anyone notice here it doesn't say build massive institutions and churches? Now Jesus authored the church, but he didn't place an emphasis on becoming an institution. He placed an emphasis more than once on discipling people. See, the problem we have and the problem why the modern church is failing is because the last few generations has figured out that ministry is big business. And they've taken money instead of walking with God. Because if you walk with God, you're going to start discipling people. That doesn't mean oppressing people with your leadership. That means serving people with your experience. Come on. (laughs) So, So what we believe here at Dwelling Place is our mandate is not to show up at church that we are here 20, 30 years later with the exact same number and group of people that we just have our aging country club. Oh, remember the good old years? What are those good old years specifically? So we're not called to just find our tribe and not expand it. And we're not called to just garnish people from other churches. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, go into all the world and steal other church folk. Now, if other church folk are in a dead church where the pastor looks more like Pharaoh or Judas, yeah, get out. Get out of that. That's messed up. If you're dying, maybe it was good at one minute, but it ain't good now. Get, get out. Okay, you, need to, you need to go somewhere where there's life flowing. Yes, agreed. But that doesn't mean that our focus is let's build churches by transferring migratory herds of people so we look like we've got movements happening. Right. Hello. I know this may be shocking to some of you, but it's very scriptural. Jesus was more about concerned about truth and quality of discipleship than he was about crowds. Because if Jesus was like most modern preachers or pastors, when he stood up and said, if you want to be a real part of this thing, you've got to eat my body and drink my flesh, speaking of communion, right? And everyone got up and walked away. If Jesus was like most modern ministers, he would be like, oh, no, no, no. I think I need to retract that statement. Please come back. We need to still, we we don't want to lose the building fund. And I'm being a little savage today, but I'm smiling. Just we have to realize that the original design has been abandoned somewhat, and we need to come back to it. That's what we feel very strongly about at Dwelling Place: is that God actually has a plan that works, and we don't need to modify it. We don't need to change it up because we found a better formula, so that we can tone down the gospel to please more people. The Bible clearly says that narrow is the road that leads to heaven. Now that doesn't make me an arrogant person that won't share the gospel. My job is to get as many people to come and see Jesus as I can. Okay? So, I want you to look at this for a second. Jesus came spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Well, it's just the devil's world. No, it's not. Because Jesus just gave it to you. Jesus just gave you all the... He shared with you all the power and authority in heaven and earth that's been given to him. So, if... Here's my question. I'm writing a book right now, and this is a question I've proposed in the introduction of the book. If Jesus comes to earth, son of God, that literally could be pastoring whole nations or regions, right? Language we love to use right now in this generation. He's pastoring this generation, okay? Well, he's pastoring this region, or he's apostolically blowing out over America. But Jesus didn't do that. This is the Son of God who's been sitting in the throne of heaven for eternity past and steps out of eternity into time and represents God the Father perfectly to mankind. He doesn't build an empire. He points to another. Come on. Come on. And then he doesn't create big institutions based on a movement. He creates relationships. Because relationships or family culture is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Come on. And so from that place, what blows my mind is that the Son of God doesn't pick 5,000 students. He picks 12. Now there's people hanging out. There's people... There's people doing their thing, okay? There's the people showing up for loaves and fishes. There's the people showing up that, you know, come and watch them in the marketplace and all these different things. But they're just hanging out. And when loaves and fishes are around, they're showing up because free lunch, who doesn't want that? But there's no such thing as a free lunch. Jesus wants all of you. Hello? So when, then, so when he goes, okay, you ate my loaves and fishes, now can we talk a little bit of business? They're like, mm, no, 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 we don't like this commitment thing. This guy, I'm not a commitment type of person. I'm out. Whoosh. Jesus doesn't chase them. He focuses on the 12. Knowing that even in the 12, there's a rotten egg. <laughs> okay. So, if that's the model that Jesus, Son of God, has, imagine this for a second. We know that 12 minus 1 happened. Okay, so there's 11. But what if those 11 had have taken 5, 6, let's say 10 each in the rest of their lifetime, not just 3 years, and fathered or mothered them well, or fathered them well in that case, right? Hello? And each one of those had done the same. Some 2,000 years later, shouldn't we have converted the majority of the planet? Hello? Hello? But instead, the church is declining. Or are you trying to tell me that more of America goes to church now than they did 50 years ago? They don't. There's a lot more people going to church 50 years ago than now. Okay, so the church is failing. We might be having pockets of movements and pockets of outbreak, but we're not thriving and taking the nation like we would like to think we are before we talk about saving the world. So then, if that's the case, we have to abandon the models of hype, and we have to come back to exactly what Jesus did. And what Jesus did was focusing in on relationship, not domination. Because if Jesus was dominant, he, he, would, have looked at, he would have looked at Judas and said, hey, out. He let a devil eat at his table. That's, for me personally... Like, I don't know about you guys, but most of you men, like, if you know there's someone at your dining table that is trying to do you in, you ain't going to sit there and, and eat your corn, corn goulash and steak and potatoes. Okay? You're going to take action. But Jesus just sat there quietly. Right? So much so that no one even knew it was Judas. I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And Peter's like, Is it me, Lord? Because everyone looked at Peter. Think about that. No one looked at Judas. Judas didn't say nothing. Everyone looked at Peter, and Peter's like, is it me, Lord? I mean, I sunk in the water. I guess it's my turn to burn again. Right? So Jesus had this thing where through proximity... See, one of our problems is that we've turned discipleship into classrooms. We've turned discipleship into courses, little... 12-week discipleship course, and we call that Matthew 28. Sorry, that's not what it is. Matthew 28 looks like doing life with people and letting their little sharp edges come up where at times they can be smoothed off. It looks like course correction, not affirmation of problems. Not blind eyes being turned. See, Eli, you guys know who Eli was, right? He's one of the high priests. His sin was that he actually had dim eyes. Not demise in the natural, demise in the spirit, so much that his two sons were sleeping with harlots and prostitutes on and in the temple and were stealing all the offerings. Hello? See, fathers that are unwilling to confront produce a generation that prostitutes the temple of God. Come on. Now it's not all about confrontation and correction. It's got to be about love and sing. like. So Peter was messing up, and, he, and and he was like, "Jesus, you know, you'll never die. We'll never let you die. We'll die first." And Jesus looks at him and says, "Get behind me, Satan." That's that's really harsh. That's me like turning to Jeff and say, "Shut up, Satan." <laughs> now he's awesome. Okay? I'm just I'm just using Jeff as an example, but that's what it looks like. And then he turns around to Peter later on and he goes I tell you when you are old another will dress you and another will lead you where you don't want to go. And he wasn't he was talking about Peter's crucifixion. See a real leader is someone that's mature enough to see your problems but not let them become your identity. Just that that's the workshop of life right now but what I'm really seeing is the destiny of who you are. And Jesus was looking at the destiny of who he was. That's why, guys, after Jesus died, remember the story in Acts where Peter's been arrested and four squadron of guard, Roman soldiers have him in the prison and Peter is sleeping on the floor? You don't sleep when you're going to get crucified the next day. So why was Peter sleeping? Because he wasn't old yet. Hello? He wasn't old yet. When you were old, another will dress you. Come on. See, so, so a, a true father can work with, with broken dysfunction as long as the heart's right. When it's sadistic and plotting and scheming, can't work with that. So coming back to this idea here, go into all people groups. Don't just choose the people you'd like. Can I talk to somebody today? Well, I just like to move in circles of friends that look like me. Mm-mm, that's not what it says. It says go into all nations. Go into all nations and preach the gospel. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? Watch this. Teaching them. So the first one he's already said, make disciples of all nations. Make disciples. So he's speaking to guys that he's discipled for three and a half years. So they knew what discipleship was. Hello, are you with me? They knew what discipleship looked like because Jesus had loved and led so well. He'd corrected well without shaming, but it was still strong enough to get Judas offended. Because the Bible says when Jesus Jesus corrected Judas, remember uh, Mary with the alabaster box? She cracks the alabaster box. She starts washing his feet. She's crying. She's weeping. And Judas goes, who was the, he was the banker. He was the one that carried the little money box. He's like, well, this should have been sold and given to the poor, right? Right? And it says, and, and Jesus said to him, No, 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 what's been done here is precious and it will not be taken away from her. Whatever this gospel's preached, this lady's going to be talked about. And it goes on to say that Judas said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he consistently took from the money box. Because you get a big wad of cash. Okay, cool, let's just 90% for you, Jesus. I'll take my tithe. Right? And he took his, he was taking his little bits and pieces. And then the very next verse says, and from that time on, Judas sought to sell Jesus. Sell to betray him, sorry. So when you choose to disciple people, risk comes with it. True discipleship is difficult, it's messy. Because some people want proximity, but they hate being corrected. So the whole process of discipleship is. Not a short period of time. It's actually a long period of time. Think about it. Jesus had his disciples for three and a half years, but not just on Sundays. They walked, talked, slept in the same buildings together. They would travel all over the country together. So they were with each other 24 hours a day. And then Jesus would get up early in the morning. Peter was still snoring, and he would go out and pray and seek the Father on what to do that day. Jesus was so submitted. So when Jesus is telling them, go and disciple all nations, he's saying, guys, what I've done to you, you now do to others. That's what he's saying. And then he's saying, baptizing them into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to talk about discipleship again. Teaching them to observe all things that I have taught you. Well, it's just me and Jesus. Leave me alone. I'm having my own little experience. As much as I'd like to say that's true, there's a whole lot of stuff we ain't listening to God on and we need someone to speak to us on. As much as I would like to say, yeah, that is true, it's not. We actually need people to speak into our lives, to, to talk us off ledges, to help us understand things, to, to, to get some truth. Because a lot of the times, once, we, once we're a little deceived on certain ideas, you can't, see, you can't see the reality. You need someone that's actually healthy, experienced, and more mature to come and speak to you. So, he actually says it twice. He doesn't talk anything about salvation prayers. He doesn't talk anything about building churches. He literally says, Go and make disciples of all men, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe all things that I have taught you. And then he says, And I'm with you to the end of the age. So, that's a very, very powerful, potent thing. Now, Jesus is still building the church. Later on, we're told, You know, don't forsake the fellowshipping of yourselves together. We know that's, to, that's true. Okay. But we need to start seeing church as a Sunday service that we attend and put money in the bucket and sing some songs and listen to the preacher. And church is actually a family where family relationships disciple us and tutor us to walk with God, not replacing our ability to follow the Holy Spirit ourselves because we don't want to create a codependent, weird weird culture. So I want to talk a little bit about the four things. I have a little less time today because we just had a beautiful glory blowout, and I'm not going to take away from that. So there's four things as a church that we see as our mandates. You can understand our mission and how we are endeavoring to follow this very key, crucial command that Jesus gave us. The first one is that we gather. How can you be in love with someone and not tell people? Well, I'm, I'm secretly engaged to this girl. Dude, I need to kick you. If you're engaged to somebody and you haven't like told... If you're dating someone and no one in your group has met them, there's something wrong. Well, it's just a very private relationship with me and Jesus and I don't like talking about it. Then you're dating a different Jesus. Because Jesus isn't ashamed to hang in public for you. Why are you ashamed to talk about him? He hasn't even asked you to die at this point. Hello? So our our primary job, see, Andrew, when he met Jesus, the disciple, not myself, when he met Jesus, he saw that Jesus was good, and he started seeing the power and the goodness and the, the healing and the mercy and the nature of God in Jesus. And the first thing he did was went and found his brother Simon. Come and hear this man. Our fathers and the rabbis have told us about this all our lives. Come and hear. This man has the words of life. See, if you've encountered Jesus, if you've encountered a place like, and it might not be that you've not, let, let me say this straight. You've encountered Jesus in your personal life, right? And, and if you're at a church where the presence of God and the word of God is flowing, why would that be a secret? Why is it okay that we enjoy Jesus and just get blown out in glory and we shake and we soak and we weep and you know we lay on the floor and we get blown away with revelation? But when it comes to share with someone at 7 Eleven that you never met before, what is happening? It's because the devil's figured out the powerful transformation of the light of the gospel on the inside of you, and He has tried to cripple you with so much fear so that you have no idea how potent that light is so that you feel afraid when you've been given all power and authority in heaven and earth. If you've been given all power and authority in heaven and earth, why would you be afraid to share Jesus? Well, you know, my workplace is very sensitive. So is hell. Its flames never go out. Do you really want your work colleagues to go there? Or do you want to just sit blessed that you had a wonderful church service on Sunday while they continue one day closer? Well, they might reject me. Yeah. But at least you've told them. There's a guy called, I believe it was Lester Summerall. Uh, has anyone heard of Lester Summerall here? Very well-known man of God. He's passed on now. But when he was young in his life, and the, the Lord actually came to him and took him and showed him this valley leading up to, as in the spirit, uh, he showed him this valley leading up to the entrance of hell. And he just saw millions and millions of people that had died and were walking into hell. And they were just falling off this cliff by the thousands every minute, just pouring like water out of a river down into the fires of hell. And the Lord said to them, If you won't tell them, I will have their blood on your hands and I will hold you to account. Well, that was him. Don't tell yourself that. I came for an encouraging message. What's happening? I am giving you an encouraging message. I'm giving you an encouraging message to get people saved and at least share the gospel. At least share that, well, I don't know how to do that. Yeah, you do. You know how to give someone a Yelp review when they do a, good, a nice meal for you. Don't tell yourself that. You know how to talk about stuff. Well, gotcha. <laughs> okay, so we're agreed. Awesome. So you're going to do it from now on. So our job primarily is to go into all nations, okay? Whether that's the grocery store, 7-Eleven, the the, the contractor working next door, whatever it is, we need to share Jesus, okay? Like, there is almost a spell over much of the modern church where we will go crazy in times of worship, but we will go silent when someone needs Jesus. It's a spell and it needs to break over your life. We're to be unashamed. Jesus literally said, if you are are ashamed of me in front of men, I will be ashamed of you in front of my Father. That is not the moment you want. And no amount of tithes and offering will change that. You can't compensate money for, for being ashamed of Jesus. Ooh, that one's ouch. Okay. But I listened to Bethel worship. Dude. It's not what goes into a man, it's what comes out of a man. We have to get to a place where we are so in love with Jesus that people have to know. And don't use the if use words if necessary. Because the Bible says if there is no preacher, how will they know? Okay. So the first thing that we do as a church is we gather people. We, we bring people to church services, but it's not just about, you know, and, and please, there was a time in the 50s and the 60s and even the 70s where people would take their friends to Billy Graham Crusades. Hello, has anyone ever done that before? And, and sat in stadiums and let Billy Graham or Greg Laurie or whatever preach the gospel so that we wouldn't have to. We're like, hey, let's go to dinner and then I think there's this stadium event and we kind of play dumb. It's like, I think there's this thing happening. Let's go check it out. And like, that might have been a cool strategy for, at some point, but that's not a lifestyle. People don't want to do that anymore. They really don't. Maybe it looks like you having someone over for dinner or taking someone uh, some baking or some, whatever that is. Maybe Marie Calendars. whatever you need to do. Okay? If you can't bake, find a way. But we have to get to a point where we are at a place where we are looking for every person that we interact with, and we're talking to the Holy Spirit, and He's like, I want you to talk to this one. Right. And if look, honestly, can I be vulnerable? There are moments where I feel that clench moment too. It's okay. It's You don't have to, you don't have to, I wasn't, I don't like talking about stuff because people have used it, and they take photos, and they put stuff on Instagram, and I was in Georgia a couple of weeks ago. We were doing a bear hunt, and there was no bears, so we came down, and we went to this place called Waffle House. <laughs> it was pretty broken. But after <laughs> I had a 100-pound pack on, I was ready to eat anything at that point, point. there was borderline nothing open, so Waffle House it was. Okay, but there was this girl there. She would have been about my wife's age, and this girl had a... She just had bad life, rough life written all over her. I was almost in tears. She was serving us, she was high on meth, she was blinking like 10 second blinks, she was on the phone, it was weird. You know what that girl needs? That girl doesn't need a bad review on Yelp. That girl needs Jesus. And she signed our bill, Cinderella. And the guys, the two guys that I was with walked out, you saw me do it, hey, you were there. And they walked out, and I was like, I can't, I'm not gonna leave. This girl needs some hope because Daddy never showed her any value. Daddy never showed her any love. Daddy never told this girl how to value herself. And I said, excuse me, ma'am. I said, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, you need to know that Jesus is so in love with you. I said, I don't know your story, but I can see you've had a really tough life. See, sometimes we're so busy with getting to the next thing that we just we're like the priest that goes to the other side when, the, when that guy that's beat up on the side of the road. and We don't care because we've got to get to our next appointment. Or they're too dirty or they're too smelly. This girl was messed up. And she just hung her head. And I said, I said, I don't know if you even know who Jesus is. I said, but let me tell you. And I told her. And she just started to weep. She sobered right up. And I do this a lot but I don't talk about it too much because people use it like some kind of way to validate themselves. I don't need to validate myself having little Facebook FaceTimes while some broken girl on meth is weeping. I don't Jesus ain't in on that. She wept and wept and wept. She said her name was Crystal. And I just held her hands. And as customers looking, I don't care. I have all authority in heaven and earth. They can wait. Come on. Jesus came for the one. He healed lepers and sat with prostitutes while all the rich people and their arrogance sat in their houses thinking they'd made it. We need to find some broken people and bring them some love. And this girl wept and wept and she was trying to hide her tears from everyone. She just had wept, like there was phone calls from boyfriends happening and child custody stuff going, it was just, everything about it was broken. And my friend Brody's actually going to go back and check on her with his wife. But I'm telling you guys, if you're too busy to stop for the one, you're too busy. You're just too busy. You're not that busy. We just need to find moments to gather People. to show them who Jesus is and not just be comfortable in the fact that we're saved and going to heaven if we have a bad day and die. This has to look like something. But can I say this? It has to look more like more than just a prayer because us modern Christians have got real good at having the little Eagle Scout badges of like, I've had 27 prayers. So how many of them are still living? Or did you just go out like, like I, I? came from the club, the hardcore club scene, when I was pre-Jesus, and I I got into that scene so much that I became a bouncer, and I saw so many things that were so messed up. And you saw I, seeing it from a different angle as a bouncer, you just see people coming in, and they're looking for someone to hook up with, and you know all kinds of stuff would happen. One night stands every which way. It's easy to make a baby but it's different to be a daddy. We have to get this with Matthew 28. It's easy to have someone pray a prayer, but can you walk them into stability? So the next point that we do at this church is we don't just pray and leave people standing on the side of the street or in waffle houses. We plant them. You see, and it's not just up to you. It takes a village to raise a child but it also takes a church family to plant someone because we know that as soon as that person has that moment where they recognize who Jesus is and where they've come from and their brokenness for his beauty and in a moment they can be washed clean and all of their shame and guilt and torment leaves and they get peace and beauty in, 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 in a moment. From that moment, the devil's trying to get them back. So it takes a family it takes people that when they walk through the door, you spot the new person in the room and 12 different people make them feel welcome. And the right, healthy people. Young man, you don't need to be that right, healthy person for that pretty girl that just walked through the door. She needs a woman of God. I know in some, in some circles that might sound controlling, but how many times have people not made it in the kingdom some dude got involved, or some girl got involved with some cute dude that walked in. He ain't ready for you to pick off the tree. If you touch him, he might not make it. Is that okay for me to say that? Because I've just watched it happen way too much. I've tried to stop it happening, but people just do what they want to do. People just do what they want to (laughs) do. But I want to do what God wants to do. And people matter. That's why Jesus said, if any of you causes a little one to stumble, it'd be better that a millstone be hung around your neck and you're cast in the sea. That's a big deal. So we need to, we and we've all made mistakes, okay? I'm not here to condemn anyone. I've made mistakes. We've all made mistakes. We have to learn how to love people well. But planting people looks like transitioning them from just a decision to where they start to adopt Jesus for themselves for real where they start reading the Bible and talking to God every day, where they, you are able to help walk them through the process of their problems and their old life and their addictions and their habits, trying to reach out and grab them back, the speed wobbles that the devil puts in their path. This is the kingdom, guys. We, in, the, in the U.S. military, we understand that we don't leave anyone behind, yeah? We have to have that in the church. We don't leave people to be devoured by the devil. We don't, we don't do that. And by the way, by the way if, if you just prayed with someone or you just watched salvation happen, it's now your obligation, not option, to pray for them every day, to call them, to check up on them. And to bring them in where they can stand on their own feet. And that doesn't take two weeks. That takes months, sometimes years. You become a parent The next thing that we do as they start to grow and become established is we begin to equip them. We teach them the Word of God. We train them. We walk them into deeper, deeper relationship with Holy Spirit. We equip them. We, we cause them to start to find where their strengths are, where their giftings are, what their callings are. And as they grow in that and they're still walking through uh, uh, dealing with their old life, because we're all dealing with our old life in one way or the other. They become equipped. Paul said this. He said, I labor over you until Christ Jesus is formed in you. And Paul wanted to see people go from babes to strong warriors. He also made a statement. He said, some of you should be teachers by now, but you still require French toast. I mean, he said milk toast. But French toast is basically, so figure it out, right? (laughs) Soggy bread. That's the other way you could say it. And so, our job is not just to get people, and that's one of the problems with the American church is what we do is we just want members sitting in the pew so we look big and strong, but no one has actually got out of diaper stage. We need sons and daughters that are able to stand on the field and face off with hell and push darkness out of our territories. Not weak, not broken, not, not feeble, able to endure when the enemy comes to test our ranks. Come on. This is Jesus. Therefore, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. See, there's a whole theology out there. Well, Jesus did it all. Then why did he tell you to put armor on? Why? He did it all salvation sense, agreed. But you still have work to do. And the enemy has not been chained up yet, so we still have a water fight. Jesus has won, but we have to stand in the victory. And that looks like onslaughts. Because we all have power and authority given to us. All power and authority. I'm going to try and wrap up, okay? I'm, I'm trying to get through this as best I can. So we equip people. We train people. We want people to come from a place of immaturity to maturity. Of dependence to being able to actually have a resilience about them and a maturity about them where we can stand, not just getting a certain, you know, a dynamic appeal to the next young up-and-coming group of people so we can convert them to our church house. That is not Jesus. Kingdom looks like mentoring and discipling people into maturity. And I just call in right now that God's going to give us the, 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 the repented prostitutes and the doctors. See, there's some places that just want the actors and the doctors and the lawyers. No, no, I want to have the broken house moms, I want to have the derelict sons that grew up and dad never loved them and they became a drug addict. And I want to see Jesus turn someone from a trash heap into a king. Because this is what Jesus does. But in order for Jesus to be able to do that, They're going to need older brothers and sisters that are a little further down, maybe not totally put together, but at least healthy enough to get that person where they need to be. And if stuff happens or if they have issues that are beyond their capability, you bring them to leadership. That's why we need a family. And see, so through the course of equipping people, we come to the last point, which is empowering people. See, the goal is is to take someone that looked like the woman caught in adultery and bring her full circle where she's now able to go out and gather souls and equip people and empower them. Come on. Able to raise people up where they are able to then, you know, go out and be able to infiltrate territories. Like people have talked about infiltrating Hollywood. How about we infiltrate the oil fields? And how about we infiltrate uh, 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 grocery stores? Come on. How about we infiltrate the hospitals and actually show that Jesus has power over sickness? How about we infiltrate our neighborhoods and our kindergartens and the schools? But it doesn't you can't do that as a baby. You need to be established. Your zeal will not get you there and keep you sorry your zeal might get you there but it won't keep you there. The devil will destroy you. You need to be mature or with mature people. Is this, is this helping someone right now? This is what we believe. Jesus is organized and structured. Not legalistic and ritualistic and full of tradition where there's no life and spirit and freedom, but He wants to raise people up healthy. Jesus is coming back for a glorious bride, not the bride that slept in and trying to wing it and cram it. Hello? So we want to raise people up to a point that we can empower them. Matt, you never know that, that, that girl who, who all she's ever done has seen her value in, in a whole bunch of different men in her life who, where her life completely turns around and she can be the smile at the front door that's so pure with no, with no lust on her face where she becomes the welcoming face that changes somebody's life because Jesus found her and changed her. See, I fully believe that girl in Georgia that works at the Waffle House. She's somebody's worship leader. Come on, she's someone's amazing wife that they'll thank God for the rest of their life that he married her. See, because our God's in the business of transforming lives, but we've got to be able to sit with the lepers, not just the good-looking folks. Come on. Jesus didn't just come for the good-looking, well-good people that had a bit of money behind them so we can kind of have a certain presentation. No, we want everyone here. We want the broken. We want the healthy It takes a lot more for someone healthy to settle into an environment like this anyways. Because usually the people that think they're the most healthy are actually the most broken. (laughs) Not to say there isn't healthy people that have been in other churches. You get what I'm saying? So our goal is to empower people. Not just have a whole bunch of people in diapers clapping at a person with a microphone. Or saying, I love it when this song comes on. (laughs) You get what I'm saying? And so this is the mandate of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus is serious about infiltrating the world. He started with just 12 and was very secure in that. And if we intentionally disciple and mentor and teach those in our proximity as a church, we are going to raise a group and a community That is not just great in number, but great in strength. Great in their walk with God, great in purity, great in their faith, great in signs and wonders, and great in replicating and multiplying the kingdom. Amen? We can't just have a whole bunch of sterile sheep that don't know how to multiply. Come on. If you've got a herd of sheep and none of them are having babies, we've got a problem. Otherwise, when you got saved, Jesus would have just zapped you up to heaven. Like, cool, we got him. We got him in the bag. No, he left you here because there's work to be done. Amen? And if you're listening to this and going, man, I've never heard this before in my life, or this sounds really intense, or, you know, I just like showing up to church and just people leaving me alone. That's not the way Jesus designed it. Jesus made community and family. Jesus made community so much so that when Judas was right in front of him, Jesus allowed that level of vulnerability. We don't need preachers that hide in back rooms. We don't need that. We don't need preachers that run off and, and only come out to, to preach a 30-minute se- se- message once a week. And I know I've gone over 30 minutes, but I'm not going to run off. But anyways, I'm going to land right there. There's a lot more I could say, but that's, that's the compressed, compacted mission statement of what we believe is and, and are looking to pursue as dwelling place. So please, if you call this church home, this is, this is our adopted heart. And as you understand this, understand that attendance is not enough to participate in the kingdom. God needs interaction. A prayer is not enough. You need discipleship. And can I say this? Just because you've attended church for 20 years, if you've not been mentored and discipled, how are you going to disciple anyone else? Jesus called that the blind leading the blind. You don't... You don't know what to do if it's never been done for you. You're going to test all your bad ideas on some innocent person that's going to trust you and it's going to be a mess. So it's a process of people that are healthy discipling people creating healthy people that disciple people. And if we can do that, we can disciple this territory over the next 20, 30 years. We can. Because we're going to do it right. Anyways, we love you guys. I'm going to close the service here. Father, I just thank you that you love us so much that you sent us Jesus to show us the way. And we don't want to create a new franchise, God. We just want to do what you did. And so we're asking that you would help us to adopt your plan and not put our ideas on it. And I just thank you, God, that the people in this room, that all the destiny that's sitting here, all the destiny that's watching us online, that you would just take our lives, God, and that you would just start to set our lives on a course where everything we've talked about today would be possible for every person in this room. I pray, God, that you would just really help us come to a place where we realize that it's not just me and Jesus, but it's me, people, and Jesus. That we would come to a place where we allow the right person to speak into our lives so that we would be able to grow up in who you are and be mentored and fashioned in such a way where God... the right time, we're going to be able to do that for others as well. And in doing so, we're going to strengthen your kingdom in this territory. So we bless you, God. And I just thank you that I I agree and I just bless all the destiny and the potential in this room. And I pray that none of it goes to waste, but all of it would grow up and come into full strength and maturity in its right time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.